Hi, this is Chelsea Plummer from May's Menu, and you're listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to Eat Blog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave Eat Blog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Hello, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in your business. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 301. Today, Chelsea is going to talk to us about keyword research and SEO and how she believes that those things should take precedence over photography. Chelsea has been blogging at May's Menu for three years. After a year of posting aimlessly and with no regards to SEO, Chelsea took an SEO course and grew her blog traffic over 2,000%. Wow, Chelsea, in the next year. And she qualified for Mediavine within six months. Chelsea only posts anywhere from four to eight recipes a month, and she believes in working smarter, not harder. Chelsea, it is so great to have you on the show. How are you today? I am great. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm excited about this topic. I know it's a widely debated one, so I'm excited to hear (laughs) your side of it, which is really the most popular side. Well, I don't know. It just depends. Like Some people come in with the polar opposite view. So I'm excited to chat Mm -hmm. with you about this today. But before we dig into all of that, let's hear what your fun fact is. So um, my fun fact is that um, my late cousin, um, Kirk Perone, founded Jamba Juice. No way. Yeah, yeah. I was a little girl when he founded it and I was living out in California. And I remember going to his first shops as he was um, getting it all going. Yeah, it was really cool. Oh, that is cool. Oh, my goodness. And it's such a big name now. Right? Like, I think worldwide. Yeah. I mean, it's huge, yeah, massive. So. That's really cool. Uh, and inspi- inspiring for an entrepreneur like you. <laughs> Speaking of that, there are so many topics floating around in our entrepreneurial space. What is important? What's not important? And this debate about whether or not you focus on SEO before photography. So I would just love to hear your side of that because I think you have definitely an opinion on it. So let's hear what your opinion is. And I want to hear you talk through it a little bit. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking about um, this and some of my other um, thoughts to share. I was like, this could probably be like subtitled um, unpopular opinions (laughs) about SEO. (laughs) And, you know, it's really interesting. So when I started doing SEO, I... I mean, I think it's important to have like legible, clear, well-lit photos, um, stuff where people know what they're making, can discern what they're making. But in terms of like it from an SEO perspective, you need to have the content be able to be found in the first place. And um, you can have the most amazing photography, but if no one can find it, that's really the point of that. So um, I think it's really important to do the SEO work as well. Like, and, and then from there, once you start ranking, if you really want to work on improving your photography, like, of course, that's amazing. 
But, um, you know, when it comes to that question of like, what's the best way to get started? I really think the SEO is a great way to like build that momentum so people can even find you and then maybe layering the photography on top of that. I love your perspective, actually, because if you get too caught up in the photography side, I feel like it could take you a really long time to get up and running. But if you just dig into the SEO and then dedicate your time to working on your photography and improving it, that does make sense. That is such a good case. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I think it's one of those areas too, where um, food blogging when you get started can feel so overwhelming. And focusing on one thing at a time can also just help you to like, um, you know, tackle little by little kind of like developing it. So you're not getting overwhelmed and feeling like you have to have everything perfect in order to get started. Yeah, totally. So figuring out SEO, because SEO can be really overwhelming. It's such a broad topic with so many little, um, you know, subtopics underneath it. So really digging into it, you can find free resources, but it can be an investment. So what are your thoughts on that? Is it worth investing in? Is it not? Yeah, I definitely think the SEO is worth investing in. You know, there's so many areas within the blogging world that you don't always get back what you put into it. And with SEO, I've gotten back, you know, tenfold of what I've put into it. Um, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was fortunate to find this Ahrefs course that they were offering for free. But I, and I, but I took a few days to really dive into the course, and then I signed up with a subscription. Um, they are now, side notes, still, they started offering that course for free now, like indefinitely. So it's, it is available again. Um, but even having that, the subscription, continually like spending time learning SEO, reading Google Webmaster articles, listening to podcasts, kind of you name it to continually be learning more about, you know, the Google algorithm updates. It's an area that's always changing um, and evolving. So I think it is really important to constantly to to learn these things, make that investment so we can work smarter with our post, um, not harder and get better results from the effort that we put into it. Oh, that's what blogging is all about, right? Like, (laughs) I feel like we can work so hard and our wheels can just spin all the time. Or we can take a step back and look, like evaluate what we can do to work a little bit smarter and then our efforts actually start paying off. So I read in your bio that you only post four Mm -hmm. to eight new recipes a month, which is really impressive because I think for the traction that you get, that's really great. So Talk to us about some of the ways that you use SEO to work smarter. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest ways that SEO helps me to work smarter is that I know that when I'm going by doing keyword research, I know that the posts I'm creating have potential and that I can hand like I can be competitive for them. So that way I am not just basically throwing, you know, spaghetti against the wall seeing what sticks I know that there are good chances that if I do the post well um, that I will rank for them so with you know that four to eight recipe posts a month I've been able to get places and I've also shared that there's been months I've taken completely off from posting and I still um, you know have been able to build that traction how far do you plan in advance and schedule your content when you do that that's a great question so for 
as <laughs> I for a while had a plan, but I found that it kind of kind of restricted my creativity. And so I would find that I just would get to something and I would be doing it just because I was supposed to, but I really wasn't feeling inspired. So what I've started doing instead is I have a running list of all my ideas, approximate months I can do them. And then when I'm like at that month scheduling out my month ahead, I will then kind of insert them based off of what looks good based off my overall database of potential keywords or topics to go after. So I guess it's a little bit more of a hybrid, um, but it works for me. Whereas I have the information, I know that there's potential there, but I'm also going off of where I feel inspired or where I feel like I could create like a really good recipe that I feel good about and, and hopefully my readers will enjoy. I like that. So you're adding in, you're keeping some creativity in the mix instead of just completely making it a robotic situation. <laughs> mm-hmm, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, that's really smart. So let's talk about some of the little pieces of SEO. Um, some of the parts of a blog post, for example, like including process shots. I know that that is a great way to make the user happy. And that's our ultimate goal, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear your opinion on process shots and ingredient shots and whether or not we should be using those consistently. Awesome. Yeah. So I will start right out and saying that I do not enjoy taking process shots or ingredient shots, but I think they are so important. Um in I in my work helping other bloggers with their keyword research, I have seen a theme that most often the posts that need to be optimized or aren't performing well, usually like nine times out of 10, they don't have process shots and, and or ingredient shots. Um, I, from my own experience or from bloggers, I've helped when they've added just those alone, like it's helped their post performance. So to me, that shows are really important. And from like you were saying, like with a user perspective, it's really important as a user, if they're scrolling through a, a post to be able to see like high level what the recipe is about, understand it. And if you have that and a competitor doesn't, it's it's automatically going to like, you know, give you that advantage. So I think it can add extra time. Those they don't have to be like super styled and fancy, but really is so the process shots or the gradient shots is what matters is that they're clear and people can understand and like conceptualize what they need for the post and how overall this, this, this recipe is going to come together. So it seems like kind of a no brainer to just comb through your old content that has potential. Yes. So maybe not your old content that's just completely dead, not getting any traction. And mm-hmm, just add mm-hmm. those, right? Like add the ingredient shots and the process shots. Totally. Actually, I'll, I tell friends or people this all the time. Like if you want like an easy ad to optimize without even having to do keyword research, just go through and take process shots and ingredient shots. It's like, it's, it's like one of the biggest, I think, bangs for your time bucks when it comes to SEO and optimizing old posts. Wow. I feel like we can stop right there. That was gold. I seriously like I <laughs> that was so good because you hear how important it is kind of. But I mean, if that mm-hmm, could be like mm-hmm. a really huge factor in just getting your the old posts with potential, giving them a little bit of a boost or even a big boost. Mm-hmm then why not? Especially for stuff that has really common ingredients, maybe that you could just 
make really easily. Even let's say you want to start with just ingredient shots and you know you have like a bunch of baking recipes and you have all the supplies. You could even just go through and shoot ingredient shots. And then maybe the next week you do some process shots. You can kind of even, you know, schedule it out however works best. Yeah, I love that. Okay. So let's talk about some other ways to optimize old posts. Um, what are some other things that you do as you comb through old content? So as I comb through old content, so one of the first things I look for is like an easy, um, what's the word for this? Like, like you were talking about, like not that posts that are old and dead and have no potential. I tend to go through and look, what are my posts that are like ranking like three through 10 or top of the second page, go through them go through those and work on those first. Um, and so and from there, I can look at, you know, what keywords am I targeting? Am I targeting like the best ones for my um, competition level? And so and even if I am, t- I can go into a post I optimized last year, but now if I can handle more competitive keywords, I can go in and and optimize, re-optimize that old posts with new keywords that are kind of like a level up competition wise. And usually a level up competition wise also means um, higher, you know, potential traffic or keyword search volume. So you that's even one way too. If you already have, you know, all the information on your posts, um, you could go in and just improve the keywords as your domain authority improves, as you find that you're ranking higher for ranking better for more competitive terms. Um, that's like an easy way that you can improve and kind of um, level up your your content. But yeah, so last year, I, um, beginning of last year, I really focused on, um, I cut my new post back to like only like two or three posts a year in the spring. And instead, I just focused on optimizing like tons of posts. I was like doing 10 or 12 posts a month optimizing. Um, and, but only two or three new ones, maybe not 10 or 12, maybe it was even less, like eight, eight to 12, depending on the month. When June came around, there was a June and July core updates, my traffic doubled. So it was a matter, once again, I was just seeing that I had a lot of older content that I needed to redo, redo my, my keywords. And it really um, made a huge difference for me when that, that algorithm update published. What are your thoughts on bloggers who have just been around for a couple of years, is it worth it to go back to their like, quote, old content, even though it's not that old? Definitely. (laughs) I um, always improvements to be made always. And I am not I'm not not an old blogger. I'm only I've only had my blog for three years. Um, My my big uh, the way I like to look at blog posts is that they are like living documents. And because they are, I mean, the great thing about blogging is, is we don't just publish it once like a magazine and then there's no changing ever. Right. So the, so taking advantage of that, continuing to make it competitive. If there's an old post, uh, old post, let's say even two years old, um, where I, there's a new way of, doing one of the steps. So there's a new tool or let's say I have an old chili recipe, but it was made for the stovetop, but I want to add directions for an instant pot, instant pot directions, always kind of thinking of what can I add to this post to make it the most relevant, to make it the most user-friendly, to make it the most like up to date, doesn't even have to be huge changes. Um, but like maybe I add, you know, like, like those, 
those instant pot directions. Or maybe I add dietary adaptations, you know, if I want to show how a recipe can be made gluten-free, if I have readers that are asking about it, if I find the search terms are there and people are looking for gluten-free variations, just always kind of thinking about um, how to keep those posts relevant and the most competitive and the most beneficial for the readers. Yeah, you framed that really well. I loved hearing all of that that because you never know what is new. Like you mentioned new tools. I didn't even think of that. Like maybe there's something that's recently come onto your radar that is really helpful for the recipe and you have an affiliate link or something along those lines. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. always things you can update. I feel like I... I create new content and then I go in three months later and I'm always, I'm already like, oh, I can update this. Which yep, is silly. Totally. It feels like that's way too soon, but it is, it is completely true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's always something. And once you do your first sweep through the recipe, you do your initial post, like that is the hard work. And you are just finessing yes, it from there. Yes. Yeah. You've already done the hard work. Yeah. So it's just a matter of, yeah, just kind of tweaking it up, making it, you know, as um, relevant as it, it, you know, as possible at the time that you're updating it. Let's take a really quick break to talk about a service I'm really excited to share with you. As a food blogger, you've got so much on your plate. You are busy developing recipes, taking photos, writing posts, managing social media, and all of the other things. You work hard to help your readers live a more delicious life. Even though you enjoy working in your business, I think we all do it because we love it, your to-do list is probably a mile long. You know what I'm talking about. And maybe there are certain things you'd rather not deal with, such as writing. If writing is not your cup of tea, you do not have to go it alone. Heather Eberly is a content writer for food brands. She uses copywriting and marketing techniques to grow your business so you can focus on doing the things you love. If you want to gain Google traction, stand out from the crowd, and take your income to the next level, Heather can help you. Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to get more information about Heather's services. Again, go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources and click on Heather's link. And now let's get back to the episode. Talk to us about user experience. We kind of touched on this, but I know that a lot of people say like, we need to please (laughs) SEO and Google, but really ultimately it's not us pleasing Google. Mm -hmm. It's us pleasing our user. I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like you're saying so often, you know, in the Facebook groups or hearing bloggers talk, they're like, I got, you know, I got to please the SEO gods. I need to do this. I need to do that. And I think that the more Google evolves, And the more, um, you know, with every subsequent um, core update, they're just trying to get more and more in line with what the user wants and making um, user experience the best for like the reader. So I always like to try to like encourage people and think for myself when I'm looking at creating a post or optimizing a post, like what is the best thing for the reader? Because what Google wants is what's best for the reader. So it could be everything from like how you organize a post to how you, to how you write the post or what subtitles you use, what headers. Um, And like just really thinking through stepping back. I'm the, if I'm a reader, um, Might not know a lot about cooking, might not know a lot about this recipe, 
might be in a rush, might want to skim and get to like the points that are, you know, know where to, I need to go to read what I need, want to read or learn about the article, like thinking through how you can formulate that post the best for your reader, um, to, to make it the easiest to read for readers. Yeah. And I appreciate that about Google because they're reliable in that way, mm-hmm. because you know that they have the user yes. at the forefront and they are getting smarter, like you mentioned, whereas a platform like Pinterest does not have the mm-hmm. user at the forefront of their mind. And mm-hmm. we've seen that <laughs> kind of play no. out recently. Like, wait a second, everyone yes. wants this. Why are we? But yeah, anyway, that's a whole other discussion. So I appreciate that, <laughs> that they are keeping what's important, mm-hmm. which is the person searching for the content. That's what's important and what their needs are totally. and their priorities are. That is number one for them. Totally. I am so with you. It's it's so much more reliable. It's more common sense, too. And I even find when I'm using the internet or looking for recipes or whatever I'm researching online, I kind of get into that mindset. I'm like, okay, so I'm the reader. How do I like how they're presenting it? And kind of just always learning and kind of absorbing other food blogs. How do I like how they present it? Wow, that was really user-friendly. Just kind of constantly kind of taking notes and so I can apply it and think about that user experience. Yeah, so true. I think we should all keep this at the top of our minds because it's easy to lose sight of that when you're in the trenches, Mm -hmm. doing the keyword research, (laughs) trying to figure out what to put on your post. What do you think about planning ahead and like uh, preparing for seasons as they come and preparing for holidays as they come? Because I feel like this has changed recently where it used to be like you have to think ahead six months (laughs) and now it's like, well, if you're a month ahead, it's okay. Yeah. Put up the content and maybe it'll get noticed. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So I think a lot of it, um, give like a little like uh, disclaimer on this. It all depends like on how established you are as a blogger. Like if you're really like established and you have a high domain authority and Google tends to like rank your recipes right away, you can usually get away with posting things more last minute and still having them index and um, show up higher in the search results. But for those who aren't yet there, or maybe Google doesn't recognize as much, I usually recommend trying to get at least two, three months ahead of time of the seasons. If you could handle more, that's great. But I try to do um, two, three months personally and recommend that as well for most of the people I work with. With the exception of Christmas, Christmas I tend to do three or four months um, just because there's so much content usually to get out for like the Christmas holidays. It just gives me more time to get it all together. Um, But in general, like it just gives Google time to index it. Um, gives you time to get backlinks to those posts. So that way, by the time like the holidays roll around, your post already is hopefully ranking, getting traffic like in the search results for the traffic, the people that are looking for it. Um, Because otherwise, most of the time, if you know, it's not indexing, then it's not really till the next year, the next holiday season that you really get any of the results for the work that you put into it. So it's another example of like smarter, not hard, uh, working smarter, not harder. Um, But with that bit of planning or just automatically thinking, you know, when you're 
for, for me, example, for example, when I'm planning out my month, you know, this month, uh, we're getting ready for April here. I'm already thinking, okay, July, you know, July, what, what kind of recipes will I want to be creating? So I'm looking at 4th of July recipes. I'm looking at, you know, maybe even starting to think, you know, peach season, blueberry season, like those summer produce. So thinking, um, about, you know, what kind of recipes do I want to create to capture that audience or those people that are searching for those terms? This always seems like a great concept, Chelsea, but <laughs> actually doing it is like, I'm listening to you talk. I'm like, that sounds so good to actually sit and plan and create and publish <laughs> content ahead of time. But I don't think I've ever done that far ahead. I'm, I'm a last okay, minute girl. Okay, yep. But I mean, I'll make uh -huh. a case for doing it despite having a time crunch, because even if you are catching next year, then you have a whole year. And by next year, you're planting this little seed that next year is going to be in full bloom. So do it anyway, That's even if true. you're thinking like, well, there's no way I'm going to get ranked in two months. Cinco de Mayo or whatever mm -hmm. is two months from now is almost here. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it's like I, 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 I really respect you for doing that. <laughs> how do you do like I, do you put it on your calendar? How do you make yourself do that? Or is, does it just come naturally for you? So I did so I started doing this, I believe it was last spring, and I made the jump and it was hard because I was like, okay, right around this time I was, you know, working last minute on Easter type recipes, Easter and spring recipes. And then it all of a sudden I was like, I need to start jump ahead. So I pretty much skipped creating new content last year for, you know, uh, late spring, early summer recipes. And I jumped into starting after Easter, I jumped into this summer and kind of working on this ahead of time schedule. Um, it can be really tricky, though, especially sometimes for me getting the mindset, okay, what do I even want to eat in July? What do people eat in July? When it's like, you know, when it's Easter, when the weather's still dreary, sometimes cold, you know, like getting into that mindset, sometimes it's hard to to find things that are in season, you know, like right now, it'd be hard for me to find a fresh peach, for example. Um, it's good. So with the exception of those things, I have done last minute turkey recipes, for example, because I couldn't find a tur turkey breast in, in whenever I was working on it, August. Um, but I, I, I don't know if that helps like with getting into that, but I think it's just sometimes just sitting and thinking, okay, so what really would I want at that time? What do I usually eat? Sometimes I'll do a quick search, for example, fall recipes, just to get my wheels turning, thinking about ingredients, thinking about types of dishes, and then just kind of start brainstorming, start keyword researching. And by then, I usually have enough momentum or inspiration to start running with it. Well, you've inspired me to at least look ahead and consider that because, I mean, it would be nice to have new things to run through or at least like old stuff that I've re-optimized to kind of run through the system, so to speak, and be ready by summer mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because summer tends to be a mm -hmm. huge lull for me. So, yes, yeah, you've yeah. inspired me today. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Is there anything else? This has been great. I think you've made such a great case for prioritizing SEO and working on photography as you do that. So it's like a little side burner project. Improve it, yes, for sure, because it's visual. Food blogging is so visual. But 
while you are like, while you're doing that, keep SEO at the forefront and keep working on it and improving it. Is there anything we've forgotten? Any takeaways or anything you want to mention before we start saying goodbye? I don't think so. I think that's that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a pleasure to talk with you, Chelsea. Yeah. Thanks for, so much for having me. It was really fun. Yes. So before you go, do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with us? I think I mainly have... Um, Words of inspiration and encouragement. Mine, um, my main encouragement is to share, like to find your, find a blogging community or some, like a blogging network, find your friends. I, about a year and a half ago, um, discovered uh, my mastermind group and we meet every other week and they've been really key for me. I feel like it was a turning point for me in my journey as well, having um, a, a, a network to support each other, to troubleshoot issues together, uh, was really huge, especially in those moments where, you know, it's a hard journey growing a food, a food blog and not everyone understands it. You know, even the people that want to understand it's this really unique space. And also just having friends that I could talk to in an otherwise somewhat lonely job. It's been really, it's been really nice to have a community. And I just, I hope that, you know, everyone can find that and to help help them in their journey and help make the journey uh, more enjoyable. There is a gap there. I've noticed recently a lot of food bloggers saying that that is their main um, like an obstacle, but like downside of food blogging yeah. is that they don't feel understood. They feel extremely mm-hmm. lonely, like the people who are in their lives who try to understand mm-hmm. really don't mm-hmm. and n- to no fault of their own because it's like you said, it's an odd, it's a unique space. <laughs> okay, so uh-huh. it is, it's a real gap. And I truly hope that everyone listening finds that group and then your people too, because you need that. It's so important. Totally. And and you could find those people through just reaching out to people on DMs. I, uh, I was trying to remember how I found my group. I, I don't know if it was a Facebook roundup group or if it was Food Blogger Central Facebook group, but I just posted, I was like, are there any other health focused bloggers that want to meet up? And, and from there, it just kind of naturally evolved. So it can be scary, but you know, the results can really be worth it just to put yourself out there and try to get to know other bloggers. Yep. Such an important part of it. Thank you for mentioning that, Chelsea. We will put together some show notes for you. So if you want to go peek at those, you can go to eblogtalk.com forward slash May's menu and May is spelled M-A-E. So M-A-E-S menu. Uh, Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you, Chelsea, online and on social media? Yes, you can find me on my website at maysmenu.com. As Megan said, M-A-E-S menu.com. And then I'm also can be found on Instagram um, at maysmenu as well. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Chelsea, so much for joining me today. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.